We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Rotoviz College Football Show. I'm your host, Stephen Laco, joined by Matt Wispy and Jordan Hoover. Gentlemen, it is a pleasure as always, even if, you know, last week kind of sucked from a Rotoviz brand picks perspective. I mean, we had a good run there in the middle of the season. It's okay for us to go cold when it when everyone's paying attention. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have that much to brag about, but Florida and Texas did uh, come through for me, and uh, that's about all I got to uh, to go on as far as the picks are concerned, but it's good to be back on the pod with you fellas after a week off. Did you all have a good New Year's? Yeah, I was uh, stayed at home and had a bunch of beer, which that's a good New Year's for me. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Yeah, I kind of did the same. I went to a, a house party at uh, one of my 
my my girlfriend's one of their her friends' houses. So I think I'm shifting into that phase of life where I am no longer ever going to be found at a bar on that particular day. But uh, I'm okay with that. Well, I'd like to tell you, I feel like I'm always telling horror stories of parenting, and there's a good reason for that. So New Year's Eve, we uh, went to over to some of our, our closest friends, uh, live not too far, just you know half a mile down the street. So we went over there. We were going to like put the kids down and stay up late drinking and having fun and uh, you know, we were going to crash at their place so we didn't have to drive home or anything like that. And at about 10 o'clock, my son comes up to me and he's like, Dad, I don't feel good. And I could tell pretty quick that it was pretty bad. So we just went home. Uh, he got him in bed. Six minutes later, he's like, Dad, I'm not going to embarrass him. I won't go into all the details. But it ended up with him sitting on the bathroom, like sitting on the toilet, going to the bathroom, holding a bowl, vomiting into the bowl. And he had just eaten like for dinner. We, he, he had like pizza and Doritos and then he ate a banana later so he's throwing up pizza Dorito banana mixtures and he's throwing it up into the bowl which was awesome didn't miss a drop and then all of a sudden he just lets go of the bucket and it falls from his lap in slow motion hits the ground and just splashes everywhere all over me all over him all over the floor uh it was disgusting it reminded me a lot of many of the bowl games that I had witnessed and would witness the next game (laughs) It was rough. It was really, <laughs> really rough. Excellent so, analogy. yeah, it was not a very happy New Year uh, for me. But, but that's okay. We we will continue. And you know, 2019 started off rough, but it can only go uh, go up from here, right? Is that is that how that works? We can only get better. <laughs> Things can only get better. For you, starting at that level, I would I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that feels like a safe bet that you won't have every day with a bowl of vomit. So Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I was thinking I couldn't sleep the other night, which is not much different than most nights. I was like, I feel like our podcast this year has been a lot like Georgia's season where, you know, we, we got off to a good start, you know. Then we had a little bit of a hiccup where we, we got a couple picks wrong for a while there. That was kind of like the Georgia LSU game where we were kind of blindsided by that. But as the season progressed, we really got into a rhythm. We were really finishing off really strong and, and letting everyone know about it. And we've, we felt a little maybe disrespected. Maybe more people should be really ex- excited about what we are doing and the picks we are bringing them. And then all of a sudden bowl, bowl week comes around and we shit the bed. <laughs> so just call me a bulldog, baby. So does that mean you're going to get attacked by a cow? <laughs> I feel like I was, man. Your New Year's is kind of like, kind of yeah. like uh, Bevo chasing Ugga. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. So anyway, anyway, I digress. Um, I'm excited, gents. It's uh, I, I was hoping for a little bit more uh, competitive games. I mean, the final score in some of the games was competitive, and in some of the games where the final score wasn't, the games were actually good. So it's kind of a weird week. I was a little disappointed. How did you guys feel, Jordan? How did you feel about the games? Did you? Did you feel disappointed by them, or am I kind of on an, on an island on that one? I mean, I think in in some of the well, actually, a lot of these games, the the team that jumped out early, which it happened multiple times, and you kind of got that feeling early in the game that uh, you know it's it's going to be a blowout. This isn't going to be a good game to watch. And then obviously, we know um, several instances where the trailing team came back to make it close and. Uh, affect the uh, the betting line outcome in in several instances but i you know i know that a lot of people like have been saying that they didn't like the games and i understand that but i really do think that um you know this is this really is the 
in my opinion, the best time of the year for college football because we get these matchups that we don't often see uh, in the regular season where we get, you know, cross-conference matchups. A lot of the times there'll be two teams with opposing styles, which is my personal favorite way to watch college football. Um, like, for instance, Penn State or what their offense should be compared to what Kentucky's offense is. Yeah, those kind yeah. of those kind of matchups are really what I look forward to in college football period. So I'm, I guess, maybe a little bit biased towards this time of year. And yeah, I mean, some of the games, I think, you know, if they went a different way, they would have been a little more entertaining. But I'm not necessarily going to complain. How about you, Matt? What do you think? I mean, I enjoyed a lot of the games. Like Jordan said, I think there were some opposing style matchups that kind of turned out unexpected. Um, I think we all expected Georgia to be a dominant team and uh, not play from behind the whole way. And then that one was a little surprising. UCF LSU was probably the best game of the weekend. Yeah, uh, I agree. Which is sort of crazy, um, especially in the way that it happened. And, I mean, you were right on with the Florida-Michigan game, uh, Jordan, with questioning their motivation. I, I kind of went into it with the expectation of, well, hey, they should pass anyway. They have, have Shea Patterson. They have really talented wide receivers. So they should be passing. I just think I, I'm really at the point now where I'm going to start questioning Jim Harbaugh as a coach because it seems like— Well, you've been doing that all year anyway, No, I, like, I'll question him and say that I think he's stuck, like— yeah. with his offense. But I, I mean, I honestly think daylight savings time hit this year and he forgot to set his clock back from 1998. Right. You need to be able to score more than 15 points. I don't care how good Florida's defense is. You should be scoring more than 15. And particularly with how anemic their off Florida's offense has been for 90% of this year. And Michigan's defense was supposedly really good. Even without key players, you shouldn't give up 41. That game was a mess, uh, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was I was a little disappointed. So my, as I mentioned, my son was sick. I got sick on New Year's Day, and so I was just like camped in front of the TV, and I just wanted to be entertained, and I I, I felt disappointed at times. Uh, I, was, I wasn't necessarily rooting. No, that's not true. I was rooting for all of the picks we made. Like I wanted our picks to hit. And so when they weren't, it was getting very frustrating. And then at least I had like the the one Rose Bowl game to hang my hat on. And then even that got spoiled for me. I was like, are you are you serious? So it was I was a little frustrated. And then yeah, just the games themselves weren't maybe as as thrilling as I had hoped for. Um, but but it was so good overall. And 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 since since then, I mean, there's been a lot of nonsense and craziness that's taken place. Um, we've had some people declare for the draft. We've got, uh, some coaching carousel stuff to talk about. Um, yeah. Why don't, why don't, uh, Jordan, you want to, you want to hit on some of that stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, I know one of the stories that broke today that I saw on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We can, we can save one of them for at least one of them for Matt. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even, there are two that I'm not sure which one he's picking, but the one that I was most excited about probably was, uh, um, Alex Grinch going to Oklahoma. Um, Grinch uh, was with Ohio State this year, obviously their defensive coordinator. And we all have been talking about Oklahoma's defense all season, about how it was the clear weak spot and probably what was going to hold them back in the end, even though their offense was historically 
incredibly efficient and amazing. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure that just one defensive coordinator hire will completely flip their defense moving forward. But I do think, and I know that Matt will agree, even though he's upset about this outcome, I know that he'll agree that I think Grinch is one of the better defensive coordinators in the country. And I think this is a really good hire for Lincoln Riley, assuming he stays. Um, so, I mean, I, I just really got excited thinking about an Oklahoma offense, hopefully under Riley, hopefully with a quarterback who, even if he's 75% as much as Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield have been the last couple of years, that kind of offense with a defense that, you know, borderline like top 30 even, um, I just really think that that raises Oklahoma's ceiling tremendously because yeah. their defense was just so bad this year. So that's the one that – that's the story that that got me most excited, I think, today. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you on liking that hire. And as for Riley, I mean, he did just get signed an extension, so I think he's there for at least one or two years uh, more guaranteed. Um, as for their offense moving forward, I mean, they just brought in a five-star quarterback, uh, Spencer Rattler, who was good enough that Lincoln Riley actually promised to him – when he signed that he wasn't going to be exploring any of the transfer options. So if nothing else, that should tell you that he feels confident in him moving forward. And let's also not forget that uh, all off season last year, Austin Kendall, they kept telling us that it was 50 50 between who was going to be the starter between him and Kyler Murray. So they should be good. And I mean, top 30 might even be too far to reach on it. Uh, if they're average, don't they get one extra stop in that Alabama game and maybe they're not forced to go for an onside kick? So I love that hire. I think Alex Grinch is a great coach. He turned around Washington State's defense. I'm terribly sad to see him leave Ohio State because I wanted him to replace Shiano. But from everything I hear is pretty much once Shiano came back from the Tennessee debacle last year, it was always kind of a some bad feelings because Grinch didn't ever want to be a co-defensive coordinator. Now give us your big news, Matt, the one you're really excited um, about. So the fun news, and this has been sort of out there for a while, but now it seems as official as official can be until he actually is sitting in a classroom. Justin Fields, the eighth highest graded player in 24 seven sports uh, prospect history. Um, the second overall player in the 20. 18 class um also the number two quarterback in that class and the highest prospect ever to ohio state has joined ohio state so i am very excited i i mean for what it's worth i i think tate martell would have been a very capable quarterback running the offense at ohio state but there is something to be said about bringing in what is considered to be a, a truly elite talent and justin fields is an elite talent um, from all the beat writers that I have heard um, around the Ohio state program. They said Trevor Lawrence was the best quarterback prospect they ever saw, but right behind him was Justin Fields. So I'm really excited. I said several times during this season that I felt like Georgia was starting the wrong quarterback. And now Georgia doesn't have the choice to make that mistake again. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's exciting news. I, I kind of 
I'm kind of envious if, <laughs> if I'm honest. I, would, I mean, who wouldn't want that you, to be the you case? You have Justin Herbert. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I still. You did you did you watch any of that Oregon game? My God, I would give Not anything. You missed nothing. Um, we'll get into that though. We also have some some coaching stuff going on. A bunch of madness in Miami, which is kind of funny. We were just kind of talking last week about kind of their 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 pretty epic downfall over the last year plus. And then uh, West Virginia as well, some some coaching mix-up. The West Virginia one seems surprising to me. Leaving West Virginia for Houston kind of seems like a like a downward move. What did you guys make of that? It kind of sounded like West Virginia and Holgerson had some issues with one another. And that when Holgerson was offered... I think it was four years, uh, or was it four or five years, $20 million, $20 million guaranteed. West Virginia pretty much didn't even think about matching. And that should kind of tell you where they're at, because if they thought he was an elite coach, that's actually a pretty reasonable price these days for an elite head coach. They clearly didn't see it. He clearly noticed the fact that they're going to be missing Sills, um, Greer, Kajust, then they're, they're going to be missing a lot of talent next year, and they're kind of trending towards a uh, a downward season. So it's interesting. I think that he goes to a program with less pressure, which is weird to say considering that um, they, that program has come out and openly said things in the past, like if you get eight wins here, you get fired. So we'll see how it goes. He gets Derek King for next year, and that should be fun. Yeah, And I think it's worth, I think it's worth noting too that um, – Houston, obviously, the area is, is much more fertile from a recruiting standpoint. That's true, yeah. Um, you know, that's that's obviously more of a probably a long-term view because it's going it, to – it might take him a little bit of time to get, you know, his guys in there. But I, I think that that really cannot be understated. Um, I think he did a pretty good job at West Virginia given the, the you know, the region and the, the, the reach that you have to get at times to, to bring in top-end talent. Um, but I think that if he was able to do that in at West Virginia, I think given just the 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 region that he's in now, how how fertile it is for recruiting uh, in the state of Texas. Obviously, you have to you have to compete with Texas, but there's plenty of talent to go around. So I think that that had to play at least some factor, or uh, you know, play a part in his decision. Yeah, I know when I used to play, <clears throat> I used to like, as in like three weeks ago when I used to play. Um, NCAA on the Xbox. I used to always pick like a small Texas team because I like to build a powerhouse, but I always wanted to be in Texas because you had so many recruits there. So that's definitely something. Um, that's definitely a real thing. There's a lot of really talented players in Texas. So going to Houston definitely opens up that, that opportunity for him. And I did like West Virginia's hire, actually. That news just broke today. I know there were a few names being floated out there. Like I know Luke Fickle was some one of the names that was supposedly in the mix, but they ended up going with Neil Brown out of Troy. I love this hire for them. He had four seasons at Troy, um, had 10 win seasons three times, went 3-0 and when he was in bowl games, um, and his only really down year was his first year with the team. So I, I, I think that is maybe the best hire I've seen this entire coaching carousel so uh, West Virginia will be fine they might be bad next year but they won't stay down for too long yeah 
Great. Well, let's um, let's dive into what was not a great. Oh, actually, no. Before we do that, let's talk about some of the guys. Uh, your favorite wide receiver, wide receiver one, declared from the University of Georgia. Matt, tell us why you love uh, Riley Ridley so much. I think Riley Ridley is the greatest wide. No, he sucks. <laughs> He's so bad. Um, and I know people think I'm crazy for saying that because they look at him on tape and they say, oh, he's so good. He's su- he's such a – Riley Ridley is benefiting from the fact that his brother was really good. The problem is is that he was never as good a prospect as his, uh, as Calvin Ridley. He was not as productive as his brother, and he's not going to get drafted as highly as his brother. Just a lot of things that stand out there. He might be a guy that looks athletic and is good running routes, but when you cap out your career at like 25% market share um, of the team's receiving yards, it pretty much shows that they're not using you heavily. They don't put the ball in your hands. They don't see you as enough of a playmaker to make sure you're touching the ball 10 times a game. And he hasn't been that at all. He's been a mid-level wide receiver and it's why at, at Rotoviz we've kind of shifted away from a lot of sites will use 20% as considering a breakout year it's why we've shifted further and further away from that because 20% doesn't mean a whole lot it means that you are one of five options in the receiving game and yeah that's it's not that much I the other guy who declared today Mecole Hardman I'm way more excited about him if for no other reason than he has proven to be a field stretching guy and it takes one play for him to become super impactful because he will just break away on these 50 yard touchdowns. He did it. I think, I think he had five 50 yard touchdowns this season. That's way more impressive to me than Riley Ridley being sort of just another guy for a good team that is run centrics. Yeah. So that first, I think was the first drive uh, for Georgia against Texas, he had a, a pretty massive drop on third down. And I just smiled thinking about what you were probably thinking at that moment. <laughs> I was like, oh, Matt loves this right now. I, I mean, there, I, if he were being ranked appropriately as the 10th wide receiver in this class, I would probably be okay with it. The fact that people are trying to push him as this first round grade top of the class guy who really has star potential. I mean, I think he caps out his career as a third best wide receiver on a decent team. I, I don't know what makes that special. And I wouldn't waste, if your team wastes a first round pick on him, you can sell yourself for like a week that he's the, he's Calvin Ridley's little brother and he has great work ethic. He's nothing special. Yeah. Our Sega Whiteside also declared today. Um, Jordan, what, I know you've uh, we, we've talked about him a lot on this show. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, as uh, opposed to Riley Ridley, who who Matt just discussed, our Sega Whiteside has been extremely dominant. Um, he's he's had a, an, a a dominator rating of over thirty percent in both of his last two seasons. And he has a year, an age twenty breakout season, which has been proven to be. Um, pretty predictive of future success at the NFL level. So just for all the reasons that Matt laid out about Riley Ridley's lack of production, I think our Sega Whiteside, who isn't really getting as much buzz, I guess, recently, 
I, I in my opinion, he's a better prospect. And and you um, you did a piece on him uh, for Rotoviz, um, not too long ago, right? Right yeah. at the end of the year, and I think you just retweeted that one, uh, so people can check that out for some more information. But yeah, I I agree. Being an Oregon fan and seeing him catch all those touchdowns against us, I mean, the dude's a a red zone monster. Yeah, and and I think that he will. He I think that he can do that at the next level too. And again, he was just he he was dominant at a young age, which is something that um, on Rotoviz we we focus in on really closely because that is one of the better predictors of future success. So that's something that you'll probably hear us talk a lot about moving forward. And and our Sega Whiteside is is one of those guys that falls into that category. Yeah, yeah, great. Cool. Um, there are some other guys that declared as well. I'm, I'm sure we'll do a, a draft, uh, a couple draft shows, probably one right before the draft, one after the draft. Uh, so we'll get into more of that later. Let's uh, take a few minutes to recap uh, our picks from last week. Let's start off with Florida, Michigan. The line was six. Matt and myself were were pretty. I felt pretty confident in Michigan. I, I wasn't. I wasn't stressing about this one just because I've been so unimpressed with Florida this year. And we've talked about the, the lack of real, real danger when it comes from their offense. And we weren't very impressed with Frank's, the quarterback position. So I didn't really think they'd be able to score much on Michigan. And that was not the case. Final score was 41 to 15. And maybe that score is a little bit more egregious than it was on the field. But I mean, it was a, it was an ass whooping. Yeah, I mean, I think that all the concerns of Michigan not being motivated for this game came to fruition, but I also think it sort of exposed maybe Michigan's not as close as everyone thought they were this year. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I obviously I wasn't on the pod but I last week, but I submitted you guys my picks and I had Florida here and I I definitely didn't think that Florida was going to score 41 points against Michigan, but uh, I, I did question how Michigan would show up after their what happened in their last game that we discussed at length um, against Ohio State. And, yeah, it just kind of played out the way I thought, although I, I definitely didn't expect the margin to be this big. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was nuts. And and I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad that I didn't hear a bunch of people talking about, well, if Higdon was playing, this would have been different because, to me, the, that had very little to do with anything. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot more to say about that. I'd love to, to talk about uh, the semifinal matchups for, for a little bit here. Uh, let's start with Notre Dame Clemson. The line was 12. I, I actually was on Clemson's side only because I, I really didn't think Notre Dame was going to be able to hang with them. I thought they'd put up more than three points though, 30 to three and Notre Dame just could not get going. It was, it was a pretty rough. It was a pretty rough day for that offense. Yeah, it yeah. Was, I mean, I, sorry, go, ahead, go Jordan. No, go for it. Yeah, no. I mean, I obviously I was way wrong on this because I had Notre Dame, um, and I guess I just didn't realize that the talent gap, and really more specifically the depth gap, the gap between these two teams, was way bigger than I thought. Uh, I did think that Clemson was neck and neck with Alabama as the best team in the country. And I guess I just anticipated more from Notre Dame, but they just kind of rolled over, man. It it was not, it was just ugly. And Dexter Lawrence being out did not matter one bit because they have 
two, three other guys who are either four or five stars who just come in and just start punching people in the face. So I don't know. I mean, I guess this is a lesson learned and uh, (laughs) Clemson is just that good. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, my assessment of this game was, Hey, I've seen this game before. This was exactly the same as when Clemson played Ohio state um, in the 2016 season. It was just their defense is so good that if you are not creating big plays and making the most of opportunities when you get them, you will lose and you won't be able to score points. I know there was one point early in the game. I think it was still, I think it was like nine to three or something of that nature. And Notre Dame had the ball in across the 50 and came away with no points. And at that point, I, I was the people I was sitting there with, I'm like, yeah, this game's over. If if you don't make the most of an opportunity like that, Clemson has the offense to just pour it on. And I think we started to get glimpses of what I was hoping for from this offense, which was using the guys like T. Higgins and Justin Ross and getting away from Hunter Renfro, who, yes, I know he's third down Renfro, and he's so much fun on those little short routes. But the truth is, when you have a guy like Justin Ross and T. Higgins, they're going to create yards and bunches, and they're going to get touchdowns very quickly. So I was ex- actually very excited for this, considering the fact that I'm so desperately not wanting Alabama to win the national title. Yeah, and we'll definitely get into that at the end of the show. Uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be a fun one to talk about. I was also really impressed with with Ross, but man, I love T Higgins and he, he just has this it factor that, that I don't see very often in players. And he just comes up with these incredible catches and, and at really timely moments, he is someone that I'm really, I'm really excited about. And, uh, yeah, he, he's just fun to watch. I, I was sitting there watching the game. I'm like, it's not a close game, but this one's still fun because you just see these explosive plays. And then, um, yeah, I think Etienne didn't, get a lot of work but he didn't need to like they only ran the ball 14 times with him but Lawrence was so efficient through the air and not only efficient like he was throwing it deep too and yeah I felt like the offense could do whatever they wanted to and at halftime they're already up you know 23 to 3 or whatever it was and there was just really no need to to continue to really you know put put the 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 pedal all the way to the to the floor, you know, but they they still were able to take care of the football and and finish out strong. And Notre Dame never had a shot. There was no no no, no semblance of a comeback at all in this one. And uh, really really great all around performance. And I think it, it it it's evident in the fact that the line for the Alabama Clemson game is as low as it is was be, was partially because of this really thorough dominant performance. Uh, then we had Oklahoma. First Bama, I was really disappointed in, in how this one got going. I was really hoping for a, a back and forth, just one team scoring, the next team scoring. And that's not what happened. Oklahoma found themselves in a hole early and had to try to climb their way out of it. And and they, they started to work on that, but they just they just couldn't really get it done. Uh, Jordan, uh, take us to your thoughts on this one. Yeah, so for anyone who watched this game, you obviously remember how the first quarter went. <laughs> it was an absolute disaster. Uh, I think we were all texting while watching the game, and that's pretty much what I said. This is just an absolute disaster. But uh, 
to put it into to to real fine relief, um, referencing Bill Connolly's metrics, the success rate on offense for Oklahoma in the first quarter was 31%. For Alabama, their success rate was 81%. Yeah, which is one wow. of the starkest differences you, you know you'll you'll probably ever see in a in a in one quarter. After that, things kind of normalized, and and basically they were even teams up until the fourth quarter as far as success rate. But it was just too deep of a hole, like you described, and it, you know, it's it's a shame because, again, I, you know, I had Oklahoma here, but I really wasn't thinking that it was going to be on a backdoor cover. I thought they're going to be able to keep it close. Uh, still got the win, but it, I was disappointed in Oklahoma, especially how they came out of the gate. I mean, one of us tweeted out before the game, OU on the field. Um, I did not feel great about that pretty quickly. Um, I have, I'm going to have, I'm going to air my grievances in this because I had two huge gripes of plays that I felt like were meaningful. And with the way the final score ended, I think I can say that these two, uh, plays mattered. My first one was, uh, the overturned fumble by Damian Harris. Oh my God. Yes. That felt huge. Because it wasn't necessarily that I agreed that it was a fumble. It was that I don't feel like this officiating crew followed what the rules said. Because you pretty clearly could see in one side his elbow is down. But in that same image, you could not see the ball. There was no Im- there was no one where you could see his elbow down and the ball coming free. So I felt like... Okay, well, it's pretty clear to me. The rule has always said if it's not definitive, then you have to maintain what is called on the field. Yep. All of a sudden, they overturn it. Damian Harris scores on the next play. I curse a lot because it's Damian Harris and moves on. They're up seven, nothing, nothing huge. Fine. It's we expected them to play from behind in this game. Second one was the touchdown pass, I think it was to Judy or Ruggs. One of them makes this amazing catch in the back of the end zone and gets his one foot down, and it. everyone is celebrating, oh, this is the greatest thing we've seen. Until you slow it down and see that the ball is clearly moving until he hits the ground. And it's another one of those things. I think the rule is stupid. I think that should be called a catch, and I don't think there should be a rule but it's what the rule is, and they've overturned that so many times in the past that now when they've already overturned a big play, I felt like, well, they've proven they're going to make overturns based on things that are close. Overturn this. It's clear. And that would have been a field goal to make it 10 nothing rather than 14. What happens? Oh, no, they uphold this one. So I became very frustrated very early on with this officiating crew, and then it really boiled over when on the field, they called a touchdown on a la- behind-the-line-of-scrimmage pass that was dropped, and Alabama ran it back into the end zone, and they called it a touchdown on the field. The problem is is that I have now lost faith in this crew to make the right call on a replay, and that play was very obvious on the field because it was about a three-yard Yeah, that pass. was that was ridiculous that they didn't blow the whistle on that one. I was like, so are you blind? I became pretty frustrated early on in this game, but eh. I mean, it is what it is. Early on in the game, Oklahoma had some chances. I think it was the first drive 
where they went three and out. Kyler Murray ran into his own lineman, and I, I mean, it killed a lot of momentum because he had already broken free. If you keep him on the field a little bit longer, you never really know how a drive will go. They came back, made it a cover, and my takeaway from it was it's human nature for Alabama to let up a little bit. I yeah. think there was a little bit of garbage time that allowed this to become a closer game than it was. Um, the player I came away most impressed by in this game actually is Josh Jacobs. I'm not kidding. I think he might be like my second favorite running back if he declares for this class. He looked spectacular and he honestly he's the one they go to in the biggest moments it's not Damian Harris it's not Najee Harris they're not running the ball with Tua in their big moments when the it's a short yarded situation Josh Jacobs gets the ball and man he nearly killed a guy when he ran him over so yeah that that was my takeaway from the game yeah I think the the player that that I came away just falling even more in love with and, and I already love the guy but but C.D. Lamb, when he had that pancake block on that linebacker, I was just, oh, my God. Like he lit him up. Now, the guy didn't know he was coming, so it was kind of a you know, surprise hit. But just his his willingness to be physical, and then you, you add on top of that just his ability to make these insane catches with ease. Uh, he's, a, he's a special player, and I'm really excited about him. But, yeah, I, I was pretty disappointed. I, I wish they could have just, like, started over and like well okay this is a ridiculous game everything's going weird let's just start this one over give everyone what they want to see um but of course that's not how it works uh yeah i was i was disappointed but i think i think the right two teams are in the national championship game i i think clemson and bama are the two best teams in the country so i've got no no problem with it i just wanted to see a little bit more uh a little bit more from oklahoma but we do not get what we want in this world and that's a lesson for all you kids out there um Let's let's talk about my team, the Ducks. I don't want to talk about them very long because this was a really frustrating game. Michigan State 6, Oregon 7. Uh Oregon was losing for almost the entirety of the game. They were two and a half points fa- two and a half point favorites and they did not they were not able to get that. They were only able to score that one touchdown. And I know Michigan State has a good defense, but there is absolutely no excuse. And what you don't see like when you look at the box score, Herbert's numbers look really, really, really terrible. He was um, 19 for 33 for 166 yards and one touchdown, so not good at all. But what you don't see there is there were at least five drops. One of them was in the end zone, hit the guy in the hands. Um, another time, Dylan Mitchell was was running down the sideline, hit him in the head. Like it, He looked back at the ball, and it hit him right in the face mask. So, I mean, those those two catches would have been another at least 60 yards, if not more, one or two more touchdowns. So the the receivers for Oregon really let down Herbert and the team. They were able to get a win, which is, I don't really care, to be honest with you, as the Red Box Bowl. Uh, but, man, it was, it was just so frustrating to watch. I got no pleasure in this victory. Um, any money that I had, uh, had, had won with, uh, with Oklahoma, I lost with Oregon, so just life is terrible sometimes the team that you want to win loses the team you want to lose wins and it's just all backwards because they don't do it by the right amount of points and and uh, football's football's an evil evil mistress did you guys did you guys have uh, your eyes bleeding watching this one or did you guys manage to avoid it 
I didn't. I didn't watch. I don't even know if I watched a second of this game. No, um, you're lucky. Yeah, but again, just real quick, like using using this uh, success rate metric for the entire game, Michigan State success rate was thirty three percent, which is just a, an atrocious, atrocious number. Do you guys want to guess what Oregon's success rate was for the entire game? Worse. <laughs> Considering I have it up in front of me, I will not guess. I'm going to say 26. Okay, well, you, you're, 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 you're down on them a little bit. There's, there's, <laughs> it was 30% success uh, rate on offense. It felt, it, so, it felt ugly and terrible and horrible. Yeah, so I mean, that really like sums up the entire... To me, you could look at that and just be like, well, I'm really glad I never wa- I didn't watch that game. I do not regret it one bit. Um, but yeah, the the one point win as a two and a half point favorite, I just I would like to just forget about this and pretend that it never happened, to be quite honest. Yeah. yeah and we and I talk about this fairly often. Like there's a difference between a good defensive battle and bad offense. And this was bad offense. Um, I, I, I shared that one play with you where Lewerke muffs the snap and he's like bobbling it and tumbling around the backfield with it, finally picks it up and to avoid the sack, just tries to heave it out of bounds. And then it gets picked off. Like, I was like, that's Michigan state season in a play. It was the ugliest thing. I mean, the interception was actually very impressive, but just watching him like completely lose his mind back there and not know what he's doing and feel completely off and terrible. It was, it was hilarious and sad. And yeah, just terribly terribly run offenses i yeah i'm i'm hoping i don't have to see anything remotely like that again from oregon ever um but i'm terrified yeah i think my assessment of the game was a little bit right i said michigan would ugly up the game similar to the ohio state game right um i just thought oregon would be capable of scoring a little bit and they were not yeah i mean we would have guessed about six points for michigan state i just would have thought Oregon would be able to put up about 20. So uh, was wrong. Well, I mean, they would have without those drops, but those drops happened. So that's part of Michigan State football, I guess. Um, I did not catch much of the Holiday Bowl. Northwestern 31, Utah 30. I know uh, Utah was up for the majority of the game, up pretty big at halftime, and Northwestern stormed back. I unfortunately missed it. Um, And I had picked Utah minus seven, so I also got the pick wrong. So it was lovely all, all the way around. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm going to use some fun narrative language. Uh, Northwestern is a very gritty team. Um, (laughs) I, I I don't think they're particularly good at anything. I think they're, they just don't quit on a lot of stuff. And I'm, I think that's probably fine for them. They have, I mean, the guy who I liked coming into the game, I thought Isaiah Bowser would have a big game. He didn't, but like you said, they fell behind early, but they definitely, improved their big quarter because of success rate as i'm going to steal jordan's metric for the day um yeah they were 64 percent in the third quarter every other quarter of the game was under 22 percent so like wow. i said they're not particularly good but they didn't ever quit in this game and even when they fell behind they kind of just kept fighting so i i didn't watch a huge amount of this game i i just this was a bad a game of not great football either so yeah i i don't particularly care for the brand of football that they play because i think it's kind of boring but northwestern is a very well coached team 
and I think Utah is as well, which to me was the most intriguing part of this matchup was I think they're two of the best coaches in the entire country. Um, and I think, you know, I didn't see much of this game either, but just looking at the, at the numbers plus five turnover margin for Northwestern, um, I, I would be hard pressed to think of a game where that's happened, where the team with plus five actually lost the game. Right. So, um, I hate to be that reductionist about it, but you know, when you yeah, see a lot something of time, like that, well, that's a pretty big number. <laughs> yeah. 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 You don't see plus five very often. So, um, again, I, I thought it was going to be an interesting matchup for the, just from a coaching perspective. And, uh, yeah. So I guess, you know, turnovers do matter. Yes. So Kentucky, Penn state, Jordan, what happened here, man? What happened to your, what happened to your Nittany, Nittany Lions? Oh my God, man. I don't know. I, I thought for... Wait, we I, do know. Well, I mean, I th- honestly thought for a second that the inevitability of Trace McSorley was just going to absorb us all. Um, I, you know, say what you want about say what you want about McSorley. His, his play, uh, numbers-wise, really fell off this year, but I think there are reasons for that outside of just him specifically. Um, and there are a few quarterbacks in the country over the last few years that you you fear more with if you're if you're a fan of a team with a lead and I really thought that he was going to get it done and it just didn't turn out that way obviously it wasn't even coming close to the cover uh at that point I was just hoping that they could somehow squeak by right um but yeah because it's six and a half points yeah yeah we I was clearly I guess everyone was on the wrong side of that one but it was it was a hell of a way to go out for Benny Snell. Um, I was happy for him. Obviously, not happy with the outcome, but that's pretty much where I stand. Yeah, I mean, I was I'm in the same boat. Uh, Benny Snell was on a mission that day. He, I mean, played about as well as you would hope. He averaged five point five a carry, um, twenty six carries for one hundred forty four yards. They. Uh, they went to him in the last drive when they really needed just first downs and he kept churning them out. I think we were texting about this and Stefan was uh, really mad when Penn state kicked a field goal when they were at, I think it was like the 11 yard line. Yeah. You were really mad about it, but all I could sit there and think is I was like, well, they've stopped uh, UK the last like six drives. Of course they're going to, and there were still, and there were still four minutes left, I think too. So, I was being a little harsh, maybe. And I was questioning that decision, too. You I will you, say this. You weren't that, alone. That, that's the type of situation where, looking back on it, you say, well, why aren't we just trusting the quarterback that has been the king of these situations? Um, and I think, I, I mean, I think part of it is James Franklin realized that Jason McSorley had a broken foot. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, he was still running. He ran for 104 yards in the game, but Trace McSorley was hurt, was very badly hurt in that game, and that's why they lost. I mean, uh, looking at Bill Conley's post-game win expectancy, he has Penn State at 75%. So, I, and I actually just learned kind of how post-game win post-game win expectancy works. If they put up those same stats, that same output, they're going to win this game 75% of the time based on his simulations. And he has the adjusted scoring margin of Penn State should have won this by 6.4. So it's just, I think they got a little unlucky with things. And I think at the biggest moment, Kentucky's superstar 
turned into a superstar and he put the team on his back. And I mean, I believe it was, was it a punt return that Lynn Bowden took back uh, for a touchdown? Um, (coughs) I wish they had a good quarterback and a coach that knew how to use Lynn Bowden because he should be getting the ball way more than he does. Um, But those are, I mean, it was kind of a lot of rambliness, but I I sort of feel like Penn State got a little bit unlucky in this game, and I came away impressed with two Kentucky players. Yeah. No, I think that's good analysis. I, yeah, I just get frustrated when I see coaches play scared and not and not be aggressive. But, I mean, it is one of those things, if, if they go for it and don't make it, then everyone's saying, why didn't you, you know, do it differently you know so i i i understand that you know it's it's difficult to make those decisions in the moment my thinking was that even if they don't score they still need to get a stop and they still need to score a touchdown like i don't know it made sense to me at the time and looking back you know but yeah the injury to mcsorley does make it make a huge difference uh i think right like going on at the same time was the lsu ucf game which i actually watched almost every every down the game started off fast and furious with some big hits. Um, UCF on Joe Burrow. Yeah. UCF was looking awesome. Connors was a defensive lineman that just lit him up on that pick six. It was pretty incredible. Um, if you're an LSU fan, you probably felt a little bad for uh, Burrow there. He, he did get lit up, but to his credit, he got right back up and, and, Bounced back really, really well from that, and 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 had a had a decent game. Um, final score was forty to thirty-two, uh, a bit higher scoring than I would have expected. Uh, what did you guys think? I mean, I kind of went into this game with the expectation that UCF was not going to be able to stop LSU, um, and I thought that they were going to get enough scoring opportunities to keep the game close. Um, I missed the. I, I mean, I missed on this game with UCF, but I feel like I was kind of on an okay side with it. Um, I thought the game would stay this kind of level. I do think if Mackenzie Milton's in the game, it's a different game. But I mean, you can't say anything about that. Mackenzie Milton's never going to play another down of football in his life. So I yeah, can't. and LSU was out a bunch of defensive backs. I mean, if everyone's playing, yeah. who knows what happens? But yeah, but I mean, I went into this game with the expectation that. Um, LSU was going to be able to score in DFS. I, I went in on Justin Jefferson. I thought he was going to have this type of game. Um, I, I kind of bet on uh, the wrong running back for LSU. I bet on Clyde Edwards Hilaire cause he'd been a little more explosive and I thought he'd do well, but I mean, my takeaway from this is, yeah, this is what happens when UCF plays one of these schools and they seemingly care. Um, there were moments when UCF looked like they could hang but more often than not, LSU is going to come away from that game with an even bigger win than what they had. And I, yeah, and I think the drop off from McKenzie Milton uh, to to Mac is well. I mean, obviously, looking at it now in hindsight is is huge. Assuming, you know, assuming what we think uh, Milton could have done against an LSU team, especially without all those defensive backs, like you guys mentioned, the you know the drop off there, I think, was probably ultimately the, the the deciding factor and i know that there were some drops there was one noticeable drop by gabriel davis in the end zone well not in the end zone oh that was long that was brutal 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 yeah 
it was bad. I mean, I, I think Mac probably he, he didn't play, in my opinion, he didn't play a very good game, but there were there were instances where his teammates did not help him out where they needed to uh in that situation. So it doesn't all fall on his shoulders. But yeah, I'm real close to, to eking out the cover here. Um but I, I agree with Matt. I think that LSU kind of cared about this game more than I thought they might. Uh, especially with all those guys that we, you know, that that we anticipated being out before the game, so it's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I actually got this one right because I I was on LSU, uh, but I actually wanted to be wrong. I was really hoping UCF would pull it off. I just thought it'd be a really great story for them, but but no such luck. Uh, the Rose Bowl, University of Washington, Ohio State line was minus seven and Washington. I mean, come on now. This was just ridiculous. They were down and out. I had, I mean, there was no real shot of them ever coming back and winning this game. In my opinion, at no, at no point did I think they were actually going to come back and win this game, but they scored just enough for all of us to be wrong with our pick, which was lovely. My wife got this one right though. <laughs> How much were you rooting for that two point or the, uh, was oh, a, when the guy picked it off on the two point conversion. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was like, go, baby, go. go all the way back. I got really excited for him. When he started sprinting, I'm like, are we really going to pull off a push? Yeah. Oh, come on. Push, push. Yeah. And I mean, I, as you guys would expect from, as I, I know this is going to come surprise to our listeners. I'm an Ohio State fan. Um, I Wait, was, what? I, it's, I'm sorry. It's, I should have probably mentioned it earlier. Oh, um, I was, I mean, I'm okay with the performance I saw. Um, Haskins missed a few throws that I'm a little bit concerned about if I'm uh, scouting him as a pro. Um, but they did enough with the running game to, I mean, be, do well. Um, Mike Weber, I'm surprised they went away from him. And early on in the game, it looked like he was going to just torch this defense. Um, my On the other side of the ball, Miles Gaskin was just a monster. He, he did exactly he... what he really wanted this you could tell he was trying so hard they just didn't give him the rock in the first half i mean he he did exactly what he's been doing for his entire career he was a true workhorse he didn't slow down and when he had opportunities to pick up seven eight nine yards he he got there so credit to him i think uh my takeaway from this game is not a whole lot for Ohio State because the entire offense is going to look different next year. And for Washington, they're very excited for Jacob Eason. Yeah, I don't really have too much else to add as, as if I needed another reason to hate Ohio State for making me miss this pick, uh, for That's just good. kind of folding it up. Yeah, I mean, we'll see, man. We'll see. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I don't really have very much to go. I, I thought – I honestly thought Ohio State would handle Washington uh, late fourth quarter comeback aside. I, I honestly didn't think this game was going to be that close, um, but yeah, just just missed the uh, just missed the cover narrowly. I mean, Ohio State's success rate in the fourth quarter was seven percent. So there you go. Yeah, that that tells you how Washington got back in it. They were on the field almost the entire fourth quarter. Meyer folded up ten early. Yeah, much. and and you guys know I I'm not a big running backs matter type guy, but the fact that Miles only had I think maybe six or seven carries, maybe eight in the first half, he ended up 
the end of the game with 24, but they didn't really start running the ball until it was way too late. Uh, they punted the ball down two scores with not much time left. They ended up getting the ball back quickly and scoring. So, you know, it's hard to judge harshly there, but it just, it, a lot of the, the coaching didn't make sense. One, one player for Washington that, that I think is going to be super, super exciting to, to keep an eye on is a tight end Hunter Bryant. He had that spectacular one-handed grab. They should have been going to him more often. He's been outside of Gaskins. He's been one of the more dangerous weapons for the Huskies this year. And I was surprised they didn't try to get him involved earlier. Uh, but he he's someone that we'll want to keep an eye on next year for sure. He'll be, uh, I think he's going to be a real wrecking force. He's just such a difficult matchup. He's such a huge target and he can move pretty well, super athletic and, and he can, he can really catch the ball really well. So I think he's a player to keep an eye on uh, for the future as well. Uh, Gaskin had a nice touchdown pass. <laughs> that, that was fun. Um, so anyone who started uh, Gaskins in D- DFS, I think was pretty happy with his performance. He ended up with two rushing touchdowns, passing touchdown, 120 yards rushing, um, a really solid game. Ahmed, I, I I think they just couldn't find a way to get him involved. I think Ohio State was ready for him. Um, yeah, and and I mean Jake Browning just he was Jake Browning. He had a couple nice throws, but for the most part he was inconsistent. And you know, kind of kind of what we've grown to uh, expect from him. Uh, let's let's finish off um, talking about last week's game with the Sugar Bowl. It's the last game we picked. Matt and I were on Georgia. Minus 13, huge number, but we just didn't believe in Texas. We thought they were going to be what we had thought they were starting off the year, and we were wrong. Jordan, you picked Texas. Did you did you think they were going to actually win the game on the field, or did you just think that 13 was too big of a number? Yeah, I just thought that 13 was, was too big, given the spot. Um, I, I absolutely agree that Georgia is, or at this at the point of that game, Georgia had the more talented roster, but there were a couple factors. I thought that DeAndre Baker, their uh, a Georgia star cornerback, who is probably going to be a first-round draft pick, I would assume, um, he sat out where I thought Texas would be able to exploit perhaps that matchup with their best offensive players being at wide receiver. Didn't really play out that way necessarily, but, but there was also uh, Tom Herman as an underdog. We've talked about that. 400 million times this year um, came through in a big way in this spot. And uh, now the uh, Texas national championship hype can officially begin for, oh, stop uh, it. for next That's season. Disgusting. <laughs> it's so but gross. All, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in all honesty, Sam Ellinger is, he, uh, is a dump truck, dude, that, that one run. Yeah. I, I, he just, there were just tacklers just bouncing off of him. Like he was like, he was the Michelin man. I mean, he but, was just, but if it means, if it means that I'm going to have to hear Tim Tebow talk every time I watch Texas, I will lose my mind. Well, it's <laughs> going to happen. I know. We, we I can't never do it. Be rid, yeah. We will never be rid of Tebow fully. Ugh. I mean, for, but that's a whole nother subject. Yeah. But anyways, but yeah, Texas, uh, Tom Herman underdog spot, man. I'm just going to keep playing that until it starts failing. Cause it's, well, you know, you we, might you might not be far off. There might not there might not be many times next year where they are underdogs. That's a very good point. Oklahoma isn't going to be Oklahoma, I don't think. Uh, yes, without Kyler, ah, yes, man, Kyler Murray. Yes, we'll see. We'll see. We'll get into that later. <laughs> not today. Another time. But but how many games? Like Texas is going to be favored in most of their games if if he's if if Sam's healthy, they're going to be they're favored preseason. Yeah, they're preseason top ten. Oh my god, that's crazy. 
I don't not. I'm not saying no, they no, should no. Be. I'm no, you're saying... right. They are, but it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Texas is back, baby. I mean, they got Colin. I think Colin Johnson has already announced that he's staying. He's, yeah, he's coming well, back. Well, Jordan yeah. Humphrey, I don't think he's made any announcement yet, one way or the other. If he comes back, their running backs are all young. They're, they're yeah, and Ingram was impressive to me. I don't think he had a he didn't he didn't have an ex- huge. I actually don't remember what his line was, but he looked good on the on like watching the game. I felt like he really carried the ball well. I will say that I think that Texas is due to to lose a, a good bit on defense um, next year. I, I would have to double check on that, but I, I believe I heard on PAPN they were talking about that. But do they play defense yeah, I mean, in the that, Big Twelve? Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm just that's kidding. Fair. That's now that's with fair. Alex Grinch in the Big Twelve. <laughs> yeah, they do. right, right. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. No, I, I mean I think. There are some positive takeaways from this game, but the best thing about this entire Sugar Bowl loss for Georgia is the fact that they went out of their way to troll Notre Dame during that game uh, when Notre Dame was getting uh, beaten up by Clemson. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Saying, oh, four best teams, huh? I don't see a top four. And then they went out and got beat by Texas. Yeah, that was beautiful. Say what you want about uh, how it all played out, whether or not you were rooting for Texas or not. The fact that Georgia players had to eat so much because they just they couldn't beat a Texas team that, I mean, this year's Texas team is not a top 10 team. Let's finish off. I just want to remind everyone um, we're going to talk about the national championship game here. And if you want to place bets, we we like to place our bets at my bookie. So check that out. Use our promo code Rotoviz. And, and yeah, let's let's get into it. I'm looking at my bookie's site right now, and they have it at a six point spread. Jordan, let's lead off. How about you lead off? Who are you taking at minus six? Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna take Clemson and the points at six. Um, to me, all the numbers, all the metrics, really point to this being, like you mentioned, the two best teams in the country, and and they're really tight as far as the metrics are concerned. And I think that the last I saw, the over under was fifty nine and a half. Not sure if that's accurate now. On my bookie, it's 58 and a half. But yeah, right there. Okay. Um, I think that number's been dropping. I did read that there's supposed to be some weather. Um, It's beautiful Northern California in January. So um, I I don't know. I I think that this game is close. I think it could be relatively low scoring. Uh, Two really good defenses. I understand the offenses are really good. And, you know, I've made that mistake in prior weeks this season of betting on defense over offense, but at six, I'll take the points and just hope, you know, I can see this ending in a four point, three point spread here. Um, I just don't really think either team is going to run away with it, to be quite honest. So in that situation, uh, in this matchup, I'll take the points with Clemson. And who do you think wins it on the field? Ah, Jesus. uh, I'll say Bama. I'll say Bama, but they don't cover. Yeah. Matt? All right. Um, <laughs> so, I, I like Jordan, I kind of think everything's pointing towards this being a toss-up. Um, I do think that... Um, I still believe that Clemson's ceiling has not been reached at any real moment during this. I think the closest we got was the first half of the Notre Dame game was to see how their offense really could move the ball. Um for as much as we can 
assume that Alabama's defense backed off and Kyler Murray started picking them apart because of that. I think there's also some truth to Kyler Murray started finding holes. And I think Clemson is going to hold up a little bit better in this game. And I'm going to just put this out there. I don't even want credit if they cover. Um, I'm taking Clemson on the field. Um, I like it. If, if Clemson loses by five, I don't want credit. I'm taking Clemson on the field. That's a true sports better. Yeah, Throw so. away those winning tickets. I don't <laughs> want them. <laughs> it's, it's plus 180 right now on the money line. I, I, I am Clemson money line. No, I respect that. I respect I, that. I'm actually right with you. I'm, I'm right there with you. What, when I watched the Oklahoma-Alabama game, I think one of the commentators even said it, but Tua had a clean pocket. They couldn't get to him. They didn't force him to run around. They didn't hit him very much. I can't imagine Clemson being being held that far away. I think they're going to put pressure on him. I think he's going to have to move. They're going to test his legs. And I'm still not 100% convinced that he's 100%. And I think they'll hit him early and often, maybe not getting sacks, but getting enough pressure to make him feel uncomfortable. And I think it's going to have an effect on him trying to throw the football down the field. And I think their defense is going to be able to do enough. So I think you're you're both spot on. Where I don't think this is a huge, um, high scoring game. I think it's going to be pretty close and and pretty low. I mean, I think both teams will be able to move the ball and score, but I don't think it's going to be this huge, this huge offensive explosion. So and I and I think Clemson will be able to do enough to to rattle two up, and, and you know, I think he's going to throw a pick or two, and it's going to be enough. I think. Lawrence is going to have a huge game throwing the ball deep and Etienne will be able to get just enough in between the tackles. And yeah, I give me Clemson. I think it's going to be close, but I, I I'm with you on this one, Matt. Yeah, but I'm oh. a crazy person. So that's a bad strategy. <laughs> I know. So we're, but, so we're all in Clemson, right? Yeah. Yeah. We all, it's a, it's well, a that means Bama by three touchdowns. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just I mean, the way we've been running recently, I will tell people do not go if you're 50-50, do not use my confidence as a yeah. uh, reason to place the bet. Do it on your own accord. Yeah. Take the I, Costanza approach. I I just I just Clemson's defensive line is so different than anything they've really gone up against. And yes, I know the SEC is great, but Clemson they just have player after player that is is Big and fast and strong, and I I think they're going to be able to get to him. Clemson has four or five guys on their defensive line that will eventually, in, in their depth chart, they have four or five guys that will eventually be first round picks in right. the NFL draft. And Dexter Lawrence is out for this game too. Again, still uh, fine with that. Was, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I'm just saying, like, if if he was going to play, I would be a li- I would be even more confident because I think he can make a difference. He is that good. But like we saw against Notre Dame, I don't even know if it's really going to matter. I mean, Notre Dame has a has a good offensive line and is a run focused offense, and Clemson put I mean put the clamps on. Oh, so yeah. it, say we as good as Alabama is, it's going to come down to is Tua the guy that we thought we saw during that first like five week stretch that was untouchable, or is he? 85% of him and if he's 85% of that right then is Clemson's ceiling good enough to beat that and he even came out and said after the game his ankle while he was fine he looked he seemed to play okay he even came out and said that he 
didn't feel 100%. He's still not going to be 100% on game day. And whether it's Farrell who gets to him or any of the other ones, he's going to feel pressure in this game that he didn't feel against Oklahoma. And if he gets, if that ankle falls down to 50%, if it falls down any more than it already is, we saw what can happen. And I'll be really interested to see what happens in this one. Yeah, and I don't think Jalen, if Jalen has to come in here, I don't think he's having uh, a, a second, second coming, if you know what I mean. Like, it ain't happening. Like, he not against that defense. He played that, he played that card already. <laughs> right, right. The ace up the sleeve is no longer there. Yeah. Well, I can't wait. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be nuts. It's, it's going to be, I just want a good game. Uh, and I want to be right. <laughs> is, that, is that too much to ask? <laughs> never cool awesome guys right if the game is bad oh i still think i still think i want a good game although bama losing will will just be good regardless so that would just make me happy because i'm a hater i'm just jealous i'm just a jealous jealous boy who wishes his team could have the dominance that alabama has that's what it comes down to My team's going to have it the next two years with Justin Fields. I don't know if you guys heard, but he transferred to Ohio State. Oh, yeah. so oh my we're God. Going Cut to this have that. Cut the recording. <laughs> Cut the <laughs> All right. Let everyone know where they can find you. Um, you can find me at Wispy the Kid on Twitter. Um, I've had a couple articles go up on Rotoviz. I'm going to have my prospect preview series again on Rotoballer in the next couple of weeks, but. You'll see me tweeting Riley Ridley sucks a lot this week. I will not be tweeting about Riley Ridley, but you can find me at uh, jhoover9787. And I've tried to write as many prospect previews as I could over the uh, Christmas break. And we're going to be hitting on some of the guys that weren't in bowl games or weren't declared prior. So over the next uh, month, uh, rolling into the combine, we're going to try and keep... uh, providing the the content for the people moving towards the NFL draft. Yeah. And we'll, we'll be back probably next week with a, just a short recap. Uh, probably won't be too long of an episode, but we'll, we'll definitely be back to, to talk about what took place on Monday uh, and let you know what our plans are for the, well, we call it an off season, but there is no off season, but yeah, we'll definitely have a couple podcasts coming for you around the draft and talking about what, Jordan and Matt are, are finding as they look into a lot of these prospects. So, so definitely be looking out for all of that. So definitely stay, stay subscribed so you do not miss anything. Follow us on Twitter. You can find me at StayFunLaco. And we always uh, tweet out the shows when they release. So, so definitely be looking for all of that. Don't forget to rate and review uh, the podcast as well. Um, and yeah, we're looking forward to a great national championship and hopefully a Clemson victory just so that we can end the year on a high note. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. 
It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9 Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.